Listening to your gut is difficult because you haven't been taught to do it because you've been had a prescriptive life like mine, growing up in a high control environment based upon not trusting your own understanding of things, not trusting your motivations, not being taught that everything you think about is selfish and sinful and not ideal for having a good life and being led by fear as a motivator. But it's important to trust yourself and listen to that little voice inside of you because you know what you need more than anyone else. You know who you are more than anyone else. So that's the thing I'd hope people would consider after hearing my story. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm Eric Harris. And I'm Kapalee Kalnick. We're your host of Season 5, Black Trans Stories Matter. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. This story contains a graphic description of a sexual assault. Please experience with care. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in at tmiproject.org, thank you. As you listen, please keep in mind this program was executed during the peak of the pandemic. The performances and interviews were all recorded over Zoom. While the audio quality may be a little lackluster, the content is gold and too good not to share. Let's dive in. Today we are celebrating Julian. My name is Julian Harris. I recently moved to Maryland from the district. I work as a social worker and a therapist, and I've been doing that for eight years. And I also do consultations and trainings and that type of thing. So my days are full and busy, but I enjoy the work that I do. I am also a Black trans man who has been transitioning for about 17 years. Yeah, so that's about me. As Black trans and gender expansive people, we have a journey of self-discovery that often forces us to scrutinize how we've been socialized by our families, friends, religion, school, and the media, and society in general. Listening to our own truth can be terrifying when all the voices shouting normativity do not resonate, yet the alternative is just as unclear. Let's hear Julian's full story. Growing up, there is no way for me to honestly know the exact moment when I know I'm trans. What I do know is that it is best not to think about it. I believe I'm going to be struck dead for admitting to my diary that I have a crush on my best friend. I tear out the page and burn it. Being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, there are only absolutes, no gray areas, just all in or all out. Our finish line is death by natural causes or a fiery Armageddon. Then there's heaven, where 144,000 will rule with Jesus and Jehovah, or a park-like garden on earth where you could play with tigers and pandas and never have any stress. At eight, I recall learning this piece of information 
while sitting through a meeting at the Kingdom Hall. As, as a product of a single mother, my sister and I are pariahs in the organization. We are a cautionary tale and deemed bad association because of not having a father to lead our family. I know I am not accepted and grieve. I feel like my only option after escaping this world full of evil is to live forever in a world full of mean, judgmental people who never invite me over to their backyard cookouts or trips to the amusement park. An eternity of being left out and isolated. There is isolation in the Kingdom Hall and there is isolation from other kids. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate holidays, not even birthdays. We have no fun. When another kid has a birthday and somebody bakes them cupcakes or brownies to share, we have to go to the library and sit it out. I'm a kid. I want a cupcake. My whole life, I'm like, let me get some sugar, please. It's another thing that makes me separate. I'm always on the outs. What's worse is that wayward witnesses are shunned from their families of origin as well. It's so our influence doesn't rub off on them, which in turn will transmit our apostasy to the vulnerable congregation members. An apostate is a person who renounces their religion, someone who outwardly denounces the Jehovah's Witnesses. But for us, it's like someone is trying to take you away trying to get you to worship the devil. I hear others gossiping about so-and-so who went apostate. Oh no, apostate? Lock the doors. My choices are limited and dismal. And the world is so scary. The world is what we call anyone or anything not in the truth, which is shorthand for Jehovah's Witnesses. If I make friends with people who are not in the truth, I will probably end up pregnant or on drugs. My mom is born and raised in the truth and still gets pregnant with me at 16. Her dad, unlike mine, has never been in the truth. He has been in her life, raising her along with her two brothers and raising my sister and me along with my grandmother. Unlike my father, and the other men and the truth. My grandfather is nice and he loves me. Is it the isolation that causes me to finally leave? Or is it the toxic masculinity that is the foundation of the entire faith? There are three times I'm taken to the back room to be questioned by the elders. Once it's regarding rumors about my sexuality where I lie straight-faced about what I did in the hotel room during the convention weekend. The second time, I'm questioned about my decision to go to the local university after my high school graduation. I'm warned about the stumbling blocks I will face there. Why college, they ask. Armageddon is right around the corner. It's pointless. Why would you waste your time? They continue. You're pretty and you can marry one of the brothers and focus your time on the ministry. I make it into the university at Buffalo and begin to meet people who really like me. 
They don't ask me about my Bible reading habits, how many hours I spend going door to door, or whether or not my nuclear family is intact. They aren't murderers or dangerous or violent. I have the time of my life, learning to think critically, getting to know myself and others outside of the confines of my high control religious sect. I'm coming out of myself like a shelter pet who gets adopted by a loving companion. During my first semester, I am an English major who is known for getting straight A's. The weed man on campus is friends with my friends and wants to trade weed for my help in writing a paper. But that isn't all I'm in for. He rapes me. My sheltered youth never prepared me for that. I go down a spiral. They were right. It is my fault for eschewing the Christian values and rules that I have been taught my whole life. How can I expect to lean on my own understanding and have a good life? I feel like I am nobody and the elders have all the answers. The third and final time I meet with the elders in the back room where the paneled walls have no windows. It's the winter break after my first semester at college. I tell them, I want to dedicate my life to Jehovah. I have tasted the world and it is bitter. In 1999, I am baptized at the next convention. But I am already asking questions about what the meaning behind things is. Are there really going to be lions and pandas in Buffalo? We're just gonna be out here playing with animals? This shit is weird and I don't know if it makes sense. I feel a shift and that's when I leave. The following semester with the help of my therapist, I began peeling back the layers of my trauma, all of it. Not just the rape, but the religious and familial trauma. I go to group therapy and meet other survivors who are victims, which helps me see my blamelessness as well. I slowly start to trust myself again, trusting myself to make choices that suit me. In April 2005, after graduating and moving to Washington, D.C., I'm riding the red line to a dead-end job with a horrible boss and miss my stop. When I arrive at Farragut North, the doors open, but I stay on. I get off a few stops later and with tears obstructing my view, I call Whitman Walker Clinic. I know I need to process the trauma that made me leave my city of origin in the first place, but instead I make an appointment with a therapist to discuss my gender identity. I can't say that I've known from birth that I am trans. The truth is my very strict Jehovah's Witness upbringing didn't let me start thinking about my gender being anything but female, girl, woman. We're full, the secretary tells me, but she can tell from my affect that I need to be seen as soon as possible. So she fits me in. These days, they want you to be really, really sure that you're trans, that you were born in the wrong body in order to get a prescription for hormones. I'm able to convince the doctors. I don't need someone else to run my life, hoping that it will pay off in the end. I create my own destiny and do it for myself.
There is no life without risk and there is no reward without sacrifice. I stopped waiting to die in order to live. We caught up with Julian and he shared how it felt to tell his story for the first time. The night of the performance, I felt a number of, of emotions. I think I was feeling excited. I was nervous that maybe people would be surprised, be disturbed by the story, feel bad for me. I don't want people to look at me as and feel pity, but also it was a story of survival and growth. So lots of mixed feelings that night. One of the biggest ways my life changed is that I started to write more. I was writing every Monday night when we were meeting and it helped me to sort out feelings about things that I hadn't thought about in a long time, but still impact me. Like, even though we've moved through things or gotten away from things, they still sometimes impact us and our choices and decisions and our anxieties and the way we feel about ourselves and others. And so it really encouraged me to up my journaling game. And so that has been really nice. There's a really lovely poem that I think about sometimes by Walcott. The poem is Love After Love. And it reads, the time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored or another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Yeah, it's like one of those you read and you're like, oh, yes, oh, yes, 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 yes. This is okay. All is not lost because I'm still here. And if no one else is here, I'm here for me. Thank you, Julian, for reminding us of how to stay authentic to ourselves in all ways and continue letting confidence, trust, and self-love guide the way. Next up is KT, who explores the spectrum of gender, sexuality, and identity through costuming and sports till they finally make their non-binary declaration. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. I'm Eric. And I'm Capely. Black Trans Stories Matter was created by Barroom Icon, actress, and TMI Project storyteller, Ms. C.C. Suazo. The program and workshops are led by me and Capely Kalnick. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. 
TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 5 of the TMI Project podcast, Black Trans Stories Matter, is produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written and edited by me, Capely Kalnick. It was mixed and mastered by Stevie Manns. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's executive director is Eva Tenuto. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. In addition to me and Capely Kalnick, our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Ailey Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkind, Dara Lurie, Julie Novak, Blake File, Eva Tenuto, and Micah. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. <laughs>